0: If you have your Bibles, I'd like to invite you to turn with me, and I think we'll have it up on the screen as well, to the New Testament book of Hebrews, and put your finger there at uh, chapter 4, and then also we're going to look at the book of James in the New Testament. I'm going to read the Hebrews text, but I'm going to invite you to read the James text. So get ready. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. Therefore, draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may find, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in a time of of need and then in the James text chapter 4 verse 8 let's read it together it's a one-liner let's read it together come near to God and he will come near to you wash your hands you sinners and purify your hearts you double-minded let's do that again because some folks were still trying to wake up a little bit and They're not quite there yet. And I understand that it's kind of in the morning. Sometimes you're not quite getting there yet. Let's just read that first part of that verse. Come near to God. Just that first piece. We call it 8A. On my account. One, two, three. Come near to God and he will come near to you. One more time. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. And thank you for the awesome privilege to be a conduit for your word. God, I pray now that you would hide the speaker, that only you would be glorified. I pray, God, that some kind of way you would help us to understand the topic today, and that you would speak to us individually, that when we finish in this day, we will be changed, not just in our intellect, in our hearts, it is in Your precious and magnificent Son's name, Jesus Christ, that we ask these things. They all said, "Amen." When I say they all said, that's your part. You say, amen. "Amen." Good. So, Pastor Doug introduced to you last Sunday this topic: spiritual maturity. And so this is the first piece of that. And this piece is called the intimacy with God. And I've entitled this piece, A Call to Draw Near. Uh, By way of a disclaimer, as it were, almost, I want to say this to you because this is a strange topic in the sense that it, it almost comes across like I'm the expert and I'm going to inform you about intimacy with God. And I have to confess to you, and we're going to talk about that word confession after a while, but I have to confess to you that it's a struggle. It's a struggle because, as someone once said, you're only as close to God as you choose to be right now. You're only as close to God as you choose to be right now. Intimacy with God is a strange one because all of us would say, we would actually say to ourselves, yes, I want to be intimate with God. I want to be close to God. I'm there, Pastor Ali, I got it. I hear it. I I want to be close to God. And yes, we would say, yes, I do some reading. I do some Bible reading and some prayer every now and then. I want to be close to God. I tithe, I go to GRX, I participate in small groups, I do all these things. Yes, I want to be close to God. But the reality, the reality is that Closeness with God has to come from deep within you in terms of just your heart's desire to be with God. Do you desire God beyond anything else? In the Old Testament, the ancients would say in the great Shema in Deuteronomy 6 Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And what's the rest of it? Love the God, love your love the God, our God, with all your soul, with all your heart, with everything, your strength, your mind, your body, everything. In other words, the totality of your being, you should love God with the totality of your existence, your being. And when I put it in that context, I have to tell you, I struggle. Because I can't say that I crave God. I can't say that I love God with my total being. Intellectually, I I, I grasp, I understand theologically, but I suspect that all of us are there too because we kind of have that piece down. But can we take that that orthodoxy part and move it from orthodoxy to an orthopraxis where it begins to integrate within the deepest parts of my soul such that I want to see God. I want to be with God. Paul would put it one way. He would say, to know God and the power of his resurrection. I want to know him. Everything else in my life is like trash, dung. It counts for nothing. My status, my position counts for nothing. I want to know Christ. And I don't know if I'm there. Pastor Ali, but you're a pastor. You're supposed to be... Yeah, but I'm being honest. I, I just it's it, it's It's a struggle at times. So what is the approach? If you draw near to God, this is a call to draw near, what is the approach? If I look at that text, I want to look at the Hebrews text and I want us to kind of just take a real close look. Some of us have looked at this text before and I, and I want to I want to I want us to kind of just go a little bit closer in this text because this is one of those kind of passages where you kind of read it and it'll go right over your head and you move on because it's like, oh yeah, oh yeah, I agree, yeah. Therefore, since we have a great high priest that has passed through the heavens, Jesus Christ, Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. When I go to a text like that and I read, and this is my general approach, I say to myself, When it starts off right away with therefore, a flag goes up in my head. Because that flag tells me that if the text starts off with therefore, there must have been something before what was being said. Now, there must have been something that's important. And so if I back up just to verse 13 and it says, and there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Therefore, since we have this great high priest, this is not the small priest, this is a great high priest. If you read through Hebrews, you come away understanding that Hebrews is a kind of a comparison kind of doctrine going on here. In other words, here's, here, speaking to these, these Christians, here's Moses and here's all these other people of stature, and that whole system in the Old Testament system, that whole system compared to the new system under the new covenant, Christ. And essentially what the writer is saying that this is a better one. Christ is a better priest. P- Christ is a better priesthood. Whatever Moses accomplished and whatever was accomplished before Christ, the text is saying that Christ has superseded all of that now. And so when we see there where it says, therefore, since we have a high priest, a great high priest, who has passed through the heavens Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast for our conf- confession. Now, what makes Jesus the great high priest? What makes him better than all the other priests? Well, one of the things that makes him better is the fact that he is sinless. All the other priests that went before him had to have their sins dealt with. Even as they were representing the people, they had to first make sure that they were cleansed. And so they would have to have sacrifices and offerings made on behalf of those individuals because you had to do that. You had to do your own cleansing first. And the writer is saying to us in Hebrews that this is a high priest that didn't have to do that because he's sinless. He's perfect. So he supersedes all that other stuff. For we do not have a high priest, verse 15... We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. And when it says hold fast, before I leave that confession place, hold fast our confession. What is our confession? Our confession in the original language, the Greek, uh, the coined Greek in the language, there is a word that we say homologia, which is the same thing logos the same word it is essentially an agreement and so what the writer is saying is that since let us hold fast our agreement what is our agreement that jesus christ is indeed our high priest that supersedes everything that he's our representative now we agree with god And because we agree with God, we agree who he is, his character, and everything about him. You see, let me say this. One of the challenges that I find in terms of understanding what it means to be intimate with God is that you have to know God. It's kind of hard to be intimate with a person if you don't really know them. Because that means your exposure to that person is kind of hit and miss. I know sometimes I look at my own spirituality and and there's a tendency that, that we hit and miss at times and I suspect I'm not by myself oh we'll be on a good run maybe at the beginning of the year and we'll start off and we'll kind of move along and it's like okay brand new year I'm going to have my Bible plan laid out I'm going to read this many chapters every day so that by the end of the year I'll have the whole Bible completely read and about February it's kind of fizzling because we get busy and everything starts happening and it's like Oh, oh, oh! okay. <laughs> well, I'd do the other Bible plan, the one that says you, instead of reading this many chapters a day, is I can get this many, at least maybe weekly I'll do something. And then weekly turns into, well, maybe I can do a monthly kind of thing. If we know him, if we have a relationship with him, we will want to be with him. We will crave to be with him. We won't be able to function without having something to do with him. That's where our knowledge comes from. And so the approach, I just put together, I said there's a three-prong approach. Each of us must approach him personally. That's the first one. Each of us must approach him personally personally. Do you approach God personally? Do you really take it to heart that God is approachable? Do you, are you convinced? I'm, not, I'm speaking to myself as well. Are we really convinced that God can be approached? Or is it merely this Theological, intellectual thing that we've kind of bought into and, and and we're kind of we haven't seen God and so we kind of go with the crowd and we kind of go along with it. Have we had a personal experience with God? That's now perpetrated by a Holy Spirit that resides in us and it keeps moving and keeps drawing us closer and closer and closer to Him every year that we're on this journey. are we kind of just settling for kind of a settled for relationship we don't approach God and God is yearning for us he's desiring us to be with him there's a great story I love this story in the Old Testament in the book of uh, Exodus if you get a chance please read it in the 33rd chapter of exodus there's a story about moses and some of you are probably familiar with it but it goes on to say that at uh, one point as moses is getting ready to go up to the mountain he's got this tent set up outside the camp and he goes out to the tent every morning And as he gets up to go out to the tent every morning all the people all the other tents are around uh, uh the area there and the tent where moses goes he's going to go and meet god and so the people when they see oh Moses is getting up. Everybody comes out of their tent. and Everybody stands there as Moses is kind of walking, heading for his tent to meet the Lord. And he goes in the tent. And let me pick up the story here. Thus the Lord used to speak. When, uh, let me start verse 10. When all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would arise and worship, each at the entrance of his tent. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, just as a man speaks to his friend. Get, get the, you get where I'm going with this? When Moses returned to the camp, his servant Joshua, son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. Then Moses said to the Lord, this is Moses speaking to the Lord. See, you say to me, bring up these people, but you yourself have not let me know whom you will send with me. Moreover, you have said, I have known you by name. This is what Moses is telling God. This is what you said. You said you've known me by name and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, this is Moses. Now, therefore, I pray you, if I have found favor in your sight, let me know your ways that I may know you and that I may find favor in your sight. What is he saying? He's saying, God, you says that you appointed me as a leader. You want me to take charge here and lead these people. I need to know you. He's basically saying what Paul said later on in the New Testament. I want to know Christ and the power, the resurrection. I want to know him. in verse 16 the writer of Hebrews says therefore let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need the approach we must know him personally we must we we, each of us must approach him personally and by the way, what is your attitude when you approach him personally? Do you really believe God? Do you really, really believe God? Is he real to you? Have you had a real experience? Because that, that, that if how you answer that will kind of dictate where, where, where you're going with this journey of intimacy, wanting to be close to him. The second piece on that is each of us must approach him with honesty or honestly. So the word is used confession. I said homologia. We're in agreement with God. So when we come to God, we don't come hiding anything because he already knows what we're about. It's kind of like he, we already know, God already knows what, what, what we are thinking, what's our priorities, what our are, what are burdens, our issues, and all that stuff. So what he desires more than anything else in this intimacy exchange is for us to be very brutally honest with ourselves. I don't know about you, but I've gotten to the place at this stage in life where I just talk to God just like I'm talking to. Just, I'm just being open with God. And I sell God Everything. I'm not this super spiritual person. I wouldn't pretend to stand here and tell you I'm this super spiritual pastor. I got this stuff together. I'm telling you that I've learned in my struggles and my burdens to take everything to God. If you could put my life up here and just all the things that I've asked God just in the last six months, which has been an interesting, a very challenging time for me, for my family. You'd be shocked to see some of the things I'm asking God. And in some cases, I'm not asking God. I'm simply saying, God, you see. God, you know. I don't know how this is going to work, God, but you see. You know. How do I say that? How do I understand that? How can I say that? Because I know him. And I know what the word says about him. He is the omnipotent. He's the all-powerful. He's the omniscient. He's the all-knowing. He's the omnipresent. He's the all-present God. He knows all about me even before I get there with my issues and my stuff. He knows. And so that gives me a sense of openness, boldness, confidence, not arrogance, not a pompous spirit, but one of humility saying, God, Here I am again. I came to you with this same issue 20 times before. And here I am again, God. You know. And the more I do that, the more it builds a relationship and I feel closer. So when I get up off my knees, I'm able to kind of take another day in stride and be able to move on again because he knows. Because he wants to know us. He wants to connect with us. He wants us to be real with ourselves and be real with Him because that's the way He has designed us. God has designed us, someone said, that there's a vacuum in every heart that God has placed there that only He can feel. I like that. The unfortunate part about that is that we go through life before we have an encounter with God where God comes after us and we respond. The only problem is that before we get to that place in life, we usually try to fill that vacuum with everything under the sun except God. Materialism, stuff, positions, titles... Food, sex, whatever. Because we want to hurry up and feel that place that only God can feel. And God is saying, stop trying. Don't, don't put anything else in that place. That's the place that I have designed in you for me to fit in you. That's where my spirit resides there. Don't, don't, don't put anything else there. I want to get to know you. I want to have FaceTime with you. Oh, I got 5,000 friends on Facebook. It doesn't matter. 5,000 friends on Facebook. You could have a million friends on Facebook. Nothing compares to having the one friend, capital F, a friend who never sleeps. He never slumbers. He won't condemn you when you mess up. You can come to him when you step in it big time and you can come to him. I know what I'm talking about because I've been there. You can come to him and say, God, here I am again. And I stepped in it big time, God. He says, come on, come on in, my son. Come on in. That's the kind of relationship we want with our God. And so, therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. <clears throat> what I like about this piece right here it's it's a throne of grace. In the ancient Hebrew understanding the, 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 with, with kings that, that, that were rulers over kingdoms you couldn't just go to the king because you just decided to get up one day and go to the king. Now, Esther, in the book of Esther, is recorded where she decided to do that. She says, I'm going to go to the king. And if I perish, if he kills me, whatever, I've I'm, I'm, got to do this. I think it's Esther in the fourth chapter. Why? because in those times you could lose your life if you just went to the king but you and I can go to the king of kings the lord of glory and know that he's standing there with open arms saying I want you to come and I want you to come with the confidence and the boldness of heart just as you are And so this throne is surrounded by grace. Why? Because there are so many people that need grace. What is grace, Pastor Ali? You've heard it before. It's what we don't deserve. It's when you drop the ball, when you mess it up, when you misstep with God or whomever, when we sin, let's call it what it is in 21st century. We don't like to say it, but people sin in the 21st century. When we do that, we go to God and God says my grace, my throne is surrounded with grace. When you walk up to my throne and you engage me, it's a throne of grace. That means I'm not going to condemn you and say you've banished from the kingdom just like that because you've missed it. The psalmist would say if God kept a record of our wrongs, who could stand? As far as the east is from the west, I will remember their sins no more. That's the kind of God that we can approach in intimacy. One, when we go there in our hearts, we know that he, he's already covered every sin. Everything I could possibly do or think in this world has been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. I don't know what that does for you, but that really, really gives me a boost. Why does it give you a boost, Pastor Ali? Because I got a lot of stuff. I came in this world, I got a lot of stuff. I know you don't have a lot of stuff, but I I got a lot of stuff. And yet, his blood, the sufficiency of his blood. Somebody once said that it's like the devil walks around uh, with his... uh, his uh, minions and, and the devil and his minions are going around with a video video camera. They've got, they're videographers. And every time you screw up, they're taking pictures of it. And after they take a picture of it, they go back and say, See, here's that, here's that Christian person. See, here, here she is again. And, and, they're, and they're blasting all your stuff every time you mess up. But then Jesus comes on the scene. And his blood becomes the filter over that camera. And every time he shows, the devil tries to show us to God and how we messed up. There's a blank screen. There's nothing there. See, I like that. Because that gives me the confidence to be able to come to my God and know that, yes, I'm accepted. When your children, those of you that have children, when they mess up, when they do things they shouldn't do, and and they really do some bad things, mess up, and they come to you, or you discover it, you don't write them off and say, "Yep, ah, yep, you're no longer my child now," and kick them out. Oh, no, you don't do that, right? Because they're still your kid. Well, that's what happens with us when we go to God, our Father. We can go to him just like we are. Why? Because he invites us to come. Draw near to God with confidence. Draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and grace in a time of need. Cast our cares. Cast all your cares, your anxieties, your frustrations, all the stuff. Cast it on him, Peter writes. Why? Because he cares for you. I'm talking about intimacy with God to get there. I'm not going to tell you a step one, do this, do this, do this, do this, and you have intimacy with God. I'm not going to do that because I'm working this out in my own life. It's not a just an check off the box kind of thing. If I do these three things, automatically I'll have intimacy with God. No, it starts with knowing who God is first of all. So if you're struggling with this right now, My encouragement to you would be, go back to square one. No one has even known that you're struggling. Go back to square one and say, God, I want to know you. I know about you. I have this intellectual understanding and grasp. I've been in church for a number of years, so I understand the stuff about God and, and the Bible and all of that. But I want to know you. I want to move beyond the pharisaic kind of understanding of God. You remember those folks in the Bible where Jesus is, you know, they're supposed to be the religious people, and Jesus confronts them at one point. You search the scriptures looking for me, and and, and, and the scriptures speak of me. You, 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 you're so righteous, you're so together, you're such religious folks. You, you, and I'm paraphrasing. You, you have this, this, this religious thing going and, and you're looking for something and you don't realize I'm here. And then he insults them in a in, in the way that only God could do it. He says, you, you, you're, like, you're like tombstones whitewashed sepulchres in the King James Version, whitewashed tombstones. You look good on the outside. You're nice and clean, but inside you're full of bones, dead men's bones. I'm not suggesting that any of us are there, but I'm saying to you that if you need to go back to square one and say, God, I really want to know you, it's not too late. You can do that. If you're husband and wife and you need to work this out, go as husband and wife. Say, God, God we, we, we need to work this out. And then individually, work it out. And then come back together and say, I worked it out. Did you work it out? Yes, I worked it out. And work it out together. If I were going to get married today or in the future, near future, one of the critical questions that I would ask a potential spouse, do you really know him? What do you mean do I know him? Of course, I, know, I go to church, I go to GRX with you. No, 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 I'm not talking about your church attendance. Do you really know him? Yeah, yeah, I know him because I, 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 I work in a small group and I do the stuff. At, no, no, I'm not talking about what you do. Do you know him? See, I press that because that's critical. Because you can be with a good person. There are a lot of good people out there. Good, decent people. But good, decent people are not necessarily people that know God. If you're going to hook up with someone and be in a relationship for the rest of your life, covenant marriage, you need to make sure that you are in a relationship with a person that loves God and wants to grow and be spiritually mature in Christ and wants to develop that relationship and grow in the Lord together with you. You don't want somebody that's going to be pulling one way saying, well, I don't believe in that. And and you're pulling. But they're a great cook and they they do a lot of stuff at home. That's not going to cut it in the long term. You need somebody that's going to go. That's going to go the long distance with you in Christ. The last one is uh, the approach needs to be. I said it needs to be. uh, Each needs to approach with openness without fear. The Greek word is paraseia, paraseia, unhindered openness. It's kind of this, this, this kind of coming to God with kind of like just as I am. I mentioned that before. So when we go back to the Hebrew text, or we go back to the text in James, rather, chapter four of James, verse eight says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. You can't, you can't go to God with a double, double agenda. There has to be this sense of going to God, knowing that, okay, God, the only agenda here is wanting to know you, wanting to be with you. See, anybody that you really love, if you ask yourself if you really love God, anybody that's really loved, you'll want to do what? Spend what? Help me out. What's the T word? Time. You want to spend time. I have a struggle. I have a hard time believing when a person says, I love God, and they rarely come to church, or they rarely pick up their Bible, or they rarely pray. Again, going back to the whole thing with marriage, you, you're out on a dinner somewhere, and you're just kind of checking this person to see if they're marriage material. Some, do they pray? What happens if they if they just start eating, and you're stand sitting there, and you're going, oh, okay. See, all those little things should inform you about. It. I'm not saying that's a deal breaker, but I'm saying it should be things that kind of cause you to kind of like say, hmm, hmm. Cause your radar to go out so you can kinda like, okay, let me let me watch a little bit more. In uh Psalms sixty-three. It's a it's a great picture of what I've been trying to tell you, say to you this morning. I don't have a slide for it, but Psalm sixty-three. This is a psalm when David was in the wilderness of Judah. Listen to the words. Oh God, you are my God. Look at the ownership. You are my God. When I read through a psalm, sometimes I put myself in there. So I'm speaking. I'm saying this to God. You are my God. I seek you. I shall seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts. For you. My flesh yearns for you. Without being disrespectful, it's almost a lusting after. I crave for you, God. My soul is empty without you. I want you, God. In a dry and weary land where there is no water, thus I have seen you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory because your loving kindness as mercy, has set. Your loving kindness is better than life. Wow. You're describing God's character and you're saying that attribute of God is better than life. My lips will praise you. See, one of the things about intimacy with God as we mature in our faith is you learn as you get closer to God, you want to praise him more. It's a natural outpouring. It's kind of like the more I know how God has done what God has done in my life and how much grace has been demonstrated in my life over the years, the more I feel so uninhibited, throw my hands up and I can praise him and praise him and just, I don't care what anybody thinks, what they're thinking about me. Oh, Pastor Ali has lost it now. I don't care. I want to praise him because I love him, because I want to worship him. I want to know him more. I want to know him. My desire is to know him. I don't have to impress you but I want to know him so I will bless you as long as I live I will lift up my hands in your name my soul is satisfied nothing can satisfy like God not a man or woman I don't care who it is no one can satisfy like God you could have the best wife the best husband no one can satisfy like God My soul is satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth offers praises with joyful lips. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches. You ever wake up in the middle of the night and just start praising God? I'm not going to stand here and pretend like I do it. But I have gotten up early in the middle of the night and just felt compelled to just pray. It's great. No one to bug me, no distractions. Just me and him. My soul clings to you. Do you hear the language there? My soul clings to you. Going back with the kids, and the imagery of a kid with the little ones, sometimes when they're sleepy, they haven't had their naps, and they're kind of like... You know, they're clinging and you're going, Come on, come on, come on. Yeah, ma ma ma." and they just and you know what the deal. They just they just because that's their security. They don't know what else to do. To cling to the one that that will make it okay. Your right hand upholds me. I wanna close right there and pray. I don't know what you're dealing with in terms of this whole intimacy thing but I want to encourage you I want to exhort you if you need to go back and really take a look at knowing God because in your heart of hearts you know right now that the closeness is not there in the reality of your heart you know that there is no real intimacy with God. And no one knows, but right now, between you and God, no one else knows. I want to encourage you right now to just, just pray right now. If husbands and wives, even the wife, the husband, no one has to know. Just bow your head, and in your own heart right now, I'm going to just pray. And just, just God, I, I want to encourage you to allow God to start today moving in a way that's going to draw you into an intimacy with him in a very personal way.